Well, I'm going to finish up something today, so let me, let me if, you, if you haven't been a part of the church for a while, or maybe you've been in or out, there's graduations and stuff like that, I wanted to bring you up to speed what we've been talking about. If you don't know this, God said that if we want to love Him, in fact, we should love Him, but one of the ways to love Him, one of the most powerful ways to love Him is not just like with our heart and all the ooey-gooey stuff, it's with our mind. Literally said, I'd like you to love me with all your mind. Here's the problem. Uh, you have likely, I'm just guessing, had days where your mind is on something else other than God, uh, where it's worry, tension, stress, craziness. I don't know what you call it, uh, but where the mind is off the tracks, whatever you want to say. And if you and I are supposed to love God with our minds, well, I mean, there's, there's days that seems impossible because there's just too much stuff going on up here. And so we're going to land this. And I would say, and again, it's my opinion, I'm going to say that I think this is perhaps the most important conversation we need to have. So all locations are going to land on something that's familiar. Before I show you what's familiar, though, because you may have grown up at church, and what I'm about to show you, you may be like, ah, I've seen that, I know that, heard 13,000 sermons on that. Well, I, I want to flip it for you to where you and I can learn something about our brains, but even better than that, how to live life like we ought to. Let me show you what might be familiar to you if you've been in church for a while. This, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Perhaps you might have grown up with a different version of that. You may have heard even the song about this, and it's very common. And I don't know what you, what you go to first. Some of you have just landed on streams of water. That sounds awesome. For some of you, it doesn't, because that's your basement right now. And you're thinking, no, I do not want streams of water. But most of us, if you read this verse, you kind of land there. Whether you're supposed to or not, you just do. You're like, as did your pants, for streams of water, so my soul plant, oh, that, that sounds good. That's what I want to do. Except, there's a part in there that you've got to know about that's a big deal because it has a lot to do with you and me. As did your pants. Now, let me disclaimer here, okay? I am not a deer specialist. Uh, so what I'm about to tell you is what I have learned, not necessarily fully personally experienced, but I'm just going to tell you what I've studied, learned, and asked other people who know a lot about deer. It's this. If you've ever watched deer even walk through town, which is our normal, which is just so you know that's not normal, but it's our normal. I remember when we moved here, we were driving through town uh, near, near the Pizza Hut, which when I drive by the Pizza Hut, well, I look at the Pizza Hut because it's like pizza. And I just look at it, and then what I see, it was a buck, <coughs> like, walking through town, almost flaunting, like, you can't shoot me, what's up, <laughs> right? But that was not my normal. I know many of you are like, I grew up around that. That's normal. And I know many of us, you might even have deer walk through your yard, and you're like, yeah, that's normal, that's normal. Well, I want to point something out. Typically, when you're looking at deer, they're not panting, like what this verse says. They're, they're not, okay, if your dog gets off the couch and goes to the chair and seems to get exhausted in the, in the process, and you're like, why are you, you're panting like you, you just ran a marathon, and, and okay, deer, well, when you think about when they're strolling through your yard, or they're out in nature, right, they're, they're not panting. It, it's because, and this is what I've been told and what I've read, is you're really only going to see a deer pant if it's been running from someone or something. After it's been, let's just call it being chased. Maybe it was you it was running from. It saw your scope and was like, I'm gone, all right? 
or, or a car or, or some sort of a threat or a loud noise. And, and the deer runs and runs around and trying to save its own life, get away. At the end, it's going to be panting because it just ran for its life from its enemy in essence. What they say is, in the course of a chase, a deer will typically use 80% of its water reserves just getting away. It's even been documented that deer have been known that if they have to run long enough, they will literally run themselves to death, completely lose all of their water reserves. So if you've ever watched a good documentary, especially about the ones in Africa, where you, maybe many of us for entertainment, watch the gazelle run from the cheetah or whatever, and we're like, oh, what's going to happen? If the gazelle gets away, do you know what it, it, its body tells it to do something? To go for water. Same thing with a, a regular deer. After the chase, after running from its enemy, after running from whatever it was afraid of, whatever it was at risk of, at, when they, go, they go to the water. So when I read this to you, although some of us are like, this is so common, I've, I've read this before, all I want you to do is resonate with it. The writer's saying, you know, deer, they have enemies. Deer have things and people that jeopardize or risk its life. So when you read it, here's what you need to know. We have an enemy. When you read that, don't let it be so commonplace. You're like, yeah, I've heard that. No, no, no. What you need to land on very quickly is that you have an enemy that is going after you. And when you read, okay, this deer, you know, as the deer pants, you need to know that you and I have an enemy, and he has a name, and he doesn't like you. In fact, I would tell you much stronger language. He hates you. He despises you. He wants to take you down. He has no ounce of mercy, no ounce of grace. He is after you, and whatever the worst is that you can imagine that he wants for you, it's worse than that. And does it not get exhausting if you have a day where he's maybe tempting you or throwing things at you, and you're like, I just can't stop thinking about that or dwelling on that, and it just starts, do you not find yourself some days exhausted because of what you and I would call the stresses of life? It's become so normal to us that we just call it stress. I think it could be something deeper. We have an enemy. In fact, I'm not just coming up with this. I mean, many of us have our own examples, right? You probably have experienced evil in some, some sort of uh, storyline, maybe in your own life. You know that there's something bad out there. I can show you what, what many people have written about him. I'll just give you some examples. We wanted very much to come to you. And, and I, Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, he's uh, like a hero of the Christian faith. Started so many churches. Used to be like anti-Christian like Taliban-esque, horrible person. God got a hold of him, decided to follow Jesus and be all about it. And he, even though I, Paul, tried again and again, but, but Satan prevented us. Can we just stop here for a moment and say a guy who has churches named after him said that Satan prevented him from doing certain things? I mean, some of us get so, like, braggadocious we're like you know Satan can't do anything it appears as though he can do some things you have an enemy and he has a name uh, there's there's tons of other places let me show you another one. so that Satan will not outsmart us he's trying to for we are familiar with his evil schemes oh he's got schemes with your name on it he's got schemes with your marriage, name on it. Your kid's name on it. 
He's got plans and plots and traps for you and I. It's horrible. And if you ever stop and just dwell on it just for a moment, the exhaustion that you and I often feel mentally, could it be something bigger at hand, more daunting at hand, more scary at hand, more weighty at hand? You and I have an enemy. And listen, our mind is a primary target. If you want to know what he's going after with you specifically, I think he's going after your mind. I think he spends a lot of his time trying to get you and I, not to necessarily like, oh, go physically do this, but to dwell on certain things and actually not to dwell on other things. I think one of, one of the things, one of his tactics is to go after your mind. Well, let me give you an example. One of them is worry. Some of you, some of you, you, you consider it a gift of yours to worry. You need to stop that, by the way. Uh, your family hates it. There's a gift for you. One of the ways, I think, is worry. If you ever worry, if you ever wake up and, and some, whatever you're facing that day or, or that season, you just, it's consuming you and you're worrying and worrying. We're like, well, that's normal. Everyone worries. Well, I get that. I get that. Our mind is a primary target. Um, a study was done that I find horribly intriguing. Let me explain. A group of people grabbed a whole big group of people and, and tested them. Here's what, here's what the requirement was. If you've ever done a test like this? They said, all right, we want you to write down all the things you're worrying about. Some of you would be like, I'm done. I don't have time for that, right? You'd be like, how long do, do, I get, do I get a Word document? How long do I get to type all of this out? So they had to write down all of their worries, but watch this. Watch. So over time, they had to track. Here's how they had to track. If what they worried about actually manifested itself into reality, right? Like, okay, what you're worried about, what you're scared about, what, what, what's consuming you, they had to document what actually played out. And what happened was, messes with me. Here's one of the stats. 85% of the imagined misfortunes never happened. Now, it's interesting how a group like this reads this. Some of you are like, oh, wow, I should stop worrying. And some of you are like, well, I'm in the 15%, so I'm good, because what I'm worrying about is legit. And, and, and it's, I mean, David, if you just knew what I'm worrying about, well, then I, I mean, it's, it would, I mean, well, let's go there for a second. Because isn't that what many of us do? We're like, oh, I bet those were, those, those, those were not smart worries, <laughs> right? Okay, okay. So like I told you, this is a study, so they were gathering all this information. Well, of the 15%, right, that said, uh, you know, things happened. Here's what they said. 79% of the 15% said that what played out was not as bad as what they thought, and in fact, the lesson that they needed to learn through what happened was necessary and crucial, and they're glad they learned it. So the people who did the study end up saying that 97%, if you don't, aren't good at math, don't worry, like, how'd you get, just, I just did the math for you. 97% of the worries were a waste of time. Were a complete waste of time. The people who did the study used a bit more, well, stronger language. They said 97% of the worries are a form of punishment. 
because they knew it. That's why they did the study, by the way. They just didn't know the percentage. They just knew that what you and I have a tendency to worry about isn't even going to probably play out that way, at least 97% of the time. It's not going to play out in the, in the monstrous way you and I think. It's not going to be so damaging that it's actually punishment to ourselves. Punishment. Does that not sound like a tactic, a scheme of our enemy to punish us or even to get us to punish ourselves? So I will tell you, I think we have an enemy. I think it's very apparent. And I think he's going after our mind, and worry is just one of the things. There's tons of other ways. He's trying to disturb and set up our life and trap us and wreck us and throw us down. There's tons, but that's just one example. So what do we do? I mean, it's a bit intense to think that you and I are supposed to wake up and go to battle against Satan. (laughs) Well, it, it doesn't have to be as daunting. Let me show you what God teaches us. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. Now, I obviously underlined this for you. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace will guard your mind. Do you see that? Guard your mind. You and I have an enemy who has schemes going against you and I trying to go after us. And so if you have any care for yourself at all, you should be like, well, I want to guard against the enemy. And according to God, he's got a way for us to guard. It's called peace. Let me, let me put David's spin on it. Peace is a security guard for your mind. And God knows it. He's always known it. That if you and I actually want to have a safe mind, a mind that can like worship God, go after God, love even any other relationship, do it well, then we need to have a security guard, and it's peace. You and I need peace. Now, you, you likely, maybe you have, but you likely don't have a security guard at your house watching over everything. Maybe you do. It's fine. But many of us actually at our homes now, what do we have? We have security cameras. That's become a pretty standard, pretty norm thing. That, and it's, fact, it's fun. You go on YouTube for a while, and you can watch just a bunch of crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, we have, we have our fourth kid now in the house. He's 10 weeks old. He well, doesn't do anything yet, but he's still cute, and it's just fun to watch him. And, and let me tell you a little history, though. With our first three kids, you know, middle of the night, and they would cry. That, that's what happens. You know what we had to do? Some of you are going to think I was born in the 1800s. When they would cry, listen, we would have to get up. Yeah. And get, get out of bed. Yeah. And go into the room. Some of you are like, that just sounds horrible. See, maybe you grew up, though. Okay, okay. We, did, we had some of the, the, the audio things, you know, where you can listen. But I think those are worse. Because you hear things, you're like, what's that? And you get up, and it messes with you even more. Because you're like, what in the world? That was nothing, and now I just woke my kid up. This is not playing out well. Well, with our fourth kid, we've got something we've never had, and it's awesome. We have a camera in there. And so there's, you know, you might hear some noise in there. I get my phone out. I look at him, and I'm like, 
Yep, he did nothing. It, I don't know what that sound was. But we're not going to go in and wake him up and, and take the bait. <laughs> no, he's going to sleep. It's amazing. Like right now, I could, if I wanted, I could pull up right now and look at my son, Bo, and be like, oh, oh he's crying. But no, I, I could just, I could look at him. And an immediate peace of mind, it's so cool. And some of you are like, ah, we're out of that phase, David. We're out of that phase. We have two-year-olds and three-year-olds, and as soon as we put them to bed, they sleep all night long, and it's just magical. Are you sure? If you're not sure, I'd like to show you something. Here, take a look. Some of you, you're, you're not going to listen to the rest of the message. You're just going to go to Amazon and order the camera now, and you're going to be like, because many of us, it's fascinating, you think that this isn't going on, but you're wondering how the pillows got moved in the middle of the night. You're like, I don't know what's going on. Let me take this. Peace is a security guard for your mind. I think for many of us, that video is a representation of the thoughts going on in our minds. And you don't tell anybody, but your closest people around you, they know. They know that you're spending the majority of your time running around to all of these different things. Call them events, fires, call them moments, relationships, job. Thing. And we, we spend so much time running around all over the place that we are, we're losing our minds. And we're unable to love God well with our mind because right now our mind is consumed with what might happen, what might play out, what's unfolding. And we're freaked out by it. And God's like, I, I can help, I can help, I can help. You need peace to guard you, to guard against the mind that's just running all over the place and worrying and, and consumed by it. You need peace. But unfortunately, sometimes that's where the sermon ends, where you're like, Pastor said I need peace, and that's what I need. I want some peace. I wonder where that comes from. Well, let me show you. Don't worry about anything. Instead, and pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Now, here's what I know some of you just did with your mind. You're like, ah. Pastor says I need peace, and then he said I got to pray. I knew that already, and it's not working. I, I think prayer is powerful. I think there's evidence that says that prayer affects God. 
that he listens to the conversations we have with him. And it's not just talking to nothing. It's talking to the Almighty. I think it's a big deal, prayer is. But I think if you, if you interpret this as simply just saying, pray more, I think you're missing what he's trying to say here. I think when he says, tell God what you need and thank him, I think what he's getting after is, if you want peace to guard your heart, you want peace, you got to learn to worship. That's, what that, that's worship. That's, that's saying that if you want peace in your life, if you like legit peace, not fake, not like I'm trying to be religious and it's not working. No, like real peace. No matter what's unfolding in your life, what circumstances and what seasons are going on, no matter what's unfolding in your life, if it's good or bad, if you want it, worship's a big deal, according to God. Now, I know a lot of us have our own definitions of, of worship. Let me show you one that we use frequently. It's on purpose, by the way. To honor with extravagant love and submission. Some of you are like, where's the music word? I don't see it. Well, by definition, this is worship. Which means, if you're not tracking, you can worship anyone or anything that you want. And in fact, every single one of us is currently worshiping someone or something. We're giving someone or something extravagant love and submission. So let me take you back to where we started with the very common psalm. As the deer pants, as the deer gets done running from something or someone, was afraid of his life most likely, and gets to water to replenish its body, so my soul pants for you, my God. You notice where the soul went to worship and not to worship just anyone or anything. So my soul pants for you, my God. The writer, we believe, is actually writing about what's really playing out in his life. If you don't know much about the writer, uh, he was being chased. His life was being threatened multiple times all the time and we believe that he was speaking directly what was playing out and perhaps this is a good description of your own life right now where your mind and your heart you are exhausted because you have been running and running and running and running and you're like what do I do I would say worship in fact here let me let me put it in my own words the, the war of the mind requires worship from the heart this is why I say, of, of all of the weekends we've talked about self-talk and the war of the mind and what's going on, I think this is perhaps the most potent and powerful one. Worship. I wonder how well you're doing with that. Worship. I, I know you're expecting me to tell you, pastor, reverend, whatever you call me, to tell you you should worship. Like, I know, I know. Wants me in church more often. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you and I have got to be better at worship, more frequent at worship. Worship has to be a norm in our lives if, if, if you want to beat your enemy. If you don't want to beat your enemy, if you want to fall to all of his traps and schemes and all that junk, then don't. And in fact, God cares about how you worship. He cares about that you make this a part of your life, not going, I want to give you another rule. It was... He wanted you to beat the devil 
And you can go all the way back. It's not about law. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And God, like it's, it's all written there, how he made everything. And if you don't know how he made it, it's articulated in the Bible. Genesis talks about day one, day two, day three. And in six days, he created it all. It's amazing, six days. In fact, the sixth day is when he finished it. That's how that works. If you do something in six days, the sixth day is when you finish it. Thank you. But let me tell you something that means a lot about the sixth day. You may not know this, or uh, connect the dots. That meant that on the sixth day, get all your work done. It's got to be done because you don't want to leak into the seventh day. So the sixth day, even in Jewish culture, was called the day of finishing. Fast forward from creation to the time of Jesus. Jesus is literally fixed to a piece of wood known as a cross. He's nailed to it. He's been beaten near to death, bleeding all over. He's going to die. Some of you Christians who have grown up in the church and read your Bible, you remember what he said? It is finished. It was the sixth day. God has always considered days one through six when we get stuff done. But if you read the creation account, there's more than six days. There's a seventh day. We now know it is our week, but there's a seventh day. And, and God even talks about the seventh day. That When God got the seventh day, he rested. He stopped. He put his phone away. I think he had a phone. The Bible calls it Shabbat, or Sabbath, day of rest. Yes, if you read the Bible enough, you'll learn, oh, there was a, there was a commandment put in there, too. Like, hey, you better, you better honor that. You better, you better like, keep it holy. And, okay. and many of us, in a legalistic way, have begun to, we treat this day, that seventh day, we, we treat it so legalistically that we miss what God intended it to be. It was supposed to be a day that we stopped everything, didn't finish anything else, and we rested in Him. In other words, that we worshipped Him. And there's tons of ways to worship God. Some of you are like, we sang, like we're supposed to sing all day long? No, there's tons of different ways to worship. It was intended that your soul and your mind, that your body would get refilled and ready for a new week of finishing stuff. So God at the very beginning said, you're going to have an enemy and you're going to need to beat this enemy. So I'm going to put a day. You're going to need it. You're going to require it. If you ever find yourself worrying about too much, exhausted, almost burnt out, if you and I had coffee, you know I would lean in at first, I would ask you about the days of your week, and I would find out if you actually spend a Sabbath every week. And many of us would say, no, it's, it's been kind of gone, absent. And here's where I would press in further. If worship is absent, peace will be absent. You will wrestle with your mind. It will be consumed with the worry and tensions and anxiety of life because you're refusing to stop and rest because there's so much to do, so many places to go, so many games to watch, so, so much work to be done, so much this, so much that, so much stuff, so much. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I'm just trying to tell you the truth because you know what I don't want? I don't want the enemy beating you. That's what I want. If you want, what's my secret agenda? There it is. I don't want the enemy taking you out. I think one of his tactics is to go after your mind and wait for he can get, so he can get to your mind, he's got to get you to stop resting and worshiping God. If you stop that, your mind is his. If you were actually 
press worship into your life? What does it look like? What's it? Well, let me show you different places that we learn from God. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. If you're like, fix your thoughts. Worship. Like, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And it goes more specific. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you're like, well, what's worthy of praise? According to God, Him. He is. He's worthy of praise. He's, he's how you and I take our thoughts. We don't pretend, don't think, don't think, don't think about it. No, no, you take your thoughts and you put on some worthy of praise. God, keep putting into practice. There's practice about this. All you've learned to receive from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, then the God of peace, then the God of peace will be with you if you practice worship. And then if you want to get real aggressive, what happens if you worship like all the time and go after this? We demolish arguments. You ever have an argument in your head? Yeah, sometimes not even with anybody. It's a pretend argument. You're like, you know, when, when this happens, when they say this, here's what I'm going to say. And then, any, anyone else? You all look at me like, no, yeah, you do. We have these arguments in our head, and we, and we begin to go after stuff, and does it not consume you and roll around and, and, and become worry and fear and anxiety and pressure? and right, all, It's all up here. We demolish arguments. Even other people, like when they tell us stuff that's not true and it makes you feel anxiety and worry and you're like, but they said this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against, against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You do this through worship. Look at me very intently you have an enemy and he hates you if you can imagine the person in your life that has caused the most pain that you have the most bitterness that you struggle against that person or maybe it's the cruelest person in this world you know that person is not even a person your enemy is far worse your enemy is out to get you to rip every part of your life apart if you are married, he wants your marriage dissolved. If you have kids, he wants every single one of them failing in life. He wants you down. Our enemy is relentless. When you go to sleep, you know he's still doing stuff. When you and I wake up, he's doing stuff. Nonstop, around the clock, our enemy is relentless, and that means our worship should be relentless. But many of us have attacked a relentless enemy, not with this kind of worship, with random worship. Maybe rock bottom worship. Anybody there with me? I've been there. Where I don't worship God uh, until I'm rock bottom and I'm like, all right, God, we need to spend some time together. If our enemy is relentless, which I think you agree with, our worship should be the same. How are you doing with that? Most of us would say, I don't know if I would characterize my worship as relentless. Relentless being, what do you surround yourself with? What do you fill your mind with? When you're trying to take thoughts captive, what do you do? What's your tactic? Should be worship. When you have a rough conversation or a breakdown in a relationship or at work or at school, what's your tactic to resolve that? I would say you start with worship. 
when you have uncertainty and fears about the future and things are not playing out how you wish, and you're like, what do we do about this? Do we fix it right now? No, you go to worship. When you are facing life, you lead that moment with worship of God. I'll give you one final example and I'll end. Jesus, before he walked into the moment where he would be arrested, taken to an illegal trial in the middle of the night, then beaten and then beaten and then beaten and then beaten, and then culminating where they nailed his body to a cross and he was killed, all that moment, and then when all that whole process taking upon your sins and my sins, the weight of the entire world, all of that evil on his shoulders, can you imagine Somehow relate it to your life when you wake up and you know you have a, a certain meeting or a conversation or confrontation or something unknown and you wake up and you're stressed about it and you don't know how it's going to go and how it's going to play out and it consumes you and so you, you, you lash out at someone or you're tense at someone or, or you do something you shouldn't do. You imagine that pressure that Jesus was facing when he woke up that morning going, well, here's my day. Oh, I can't imagine so you and I should lean in and be like, okay, if he had that kind of a day, how, how did he go about this? What did he do? What was, what was his process? And was it exhaustive? Is it three points, four points, five points? No, it's one. So before that all launched out, I'll show you. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And if you're like, well, what's the, what's the Mount of Olives? The Mount of Olives is where Everything I just told you about what happened to Jesus, it got launched at that place, that destination. Before he went after the worst of the worst, they worshiped. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't an avoidance tactic. When you read God's word, and he says, take your thoughts captive, win this battle against the enemy, do not succumb to the schemes of the devil, and you and I are like, how in the world do we do this? I would tell you, you start with worship, and be relentless about it. Yeah, some of it's music. Pay attention to what you're filling your mind with. I got to tell you, I, if I have an argument, or if I have this difficult this or that in my life, I just by default now have to. I have to because my mind will run. I don't know if you're a thinker. I'm a thinker, and I can think the worst real quick. So when I'm going through tough and struggle, and I put my earbuds in, and I got just I got to listen to stuff that I'm not thinking about. Uh, I got to hear words about God that are true because I'm starting to think other things about life, and I'm gonna, I'm going to go down a path that's selfish and prideful. If you don't want to do that, if you don't want to throw relationships away, if you don't want to succumb to the schemes of the devil, learn to worship. Sometimes it's writing stuff out. Sometimes you're like, you know, I'm not going to listen to music, David. I'm a writer. I'm just going to start writing things. I'm going to write it down and just talk to God that way. Some of us just need to be quiet. You ever tried that before? Woo! It's weird, isn't it? I just read an article, if you want to hear the news. I, don't, I mean, you may not want to hear this. They say you and I need two hours of uh, quiet a day. See ya. Right? That's what they say, but I, I don't argue it anymore. We live in a world that is constantly demanding of our time and do not think that it's accidental. I'm not saying that your phone or devices, electronics, or other people are evil of themselves. I'm telling you that the devil is using your mind as a target. Do something about it. Figure out how to worship relentlessly, and you will beat the enemy who is relentless. Here in a moment, 
We're going to give you some, some actual, in the next 30 days, ways to walk this out, but I want to pray for you first, so let me pray for you. God, God, I believe that you are far more aware than we are of the schemes and the traps that are in front of each one of us right now. God, I know that the devil has things planned for each one of us, our relationships and other things in our lives where he wants to hurt us, break us down, trap us. So God, right now in the name of Jesus, would you reveal those traps in our lives? Help us to see those so that we don't go to those. Lord, I pray right now for all of us that you would, you would draw our attention in the moments of tension and, and high intensity in our lives to remember we need to, we need to dwell on you, worship you. pray specifically, Lord, for those who are right now in the midst of worry and fear. Lord, would you help those folks win this battle? Block for them, protect them. God, we commit to being a group of people, a church, who worships relentlessly because you're worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the greatest things I took from that is just that definition of worship. And especially the beginning part where it says to honor. Because even as Pastor David was finishing, I think we sometimes put worship in this category of it's music, it's prayer. But it's so much bigger than that. And God kind of wired us all kind of in unique ways to where it can be, we can connect with God in nature, we can connect with God in an intellectual conversation, we can connect with God just talking with people. And there can be many, and even if you look back at just Jesus' life, especially at the end, that last week leading up to his death, he wanted to honor his father. So what did he do? He went and served the disciples by washing their feet. He went and had a meal with them and explained in a very profound way what communion is. And then, yes, they sang a hymn. And then they go to the Mount of Olives, and what do they do? They pray. Jesus was going to honor God with so many different ways. And so that's why I love it. Jesus is now going, hey, learn to worship in so many different ways. So as a church, that's what we want to help you. Because I know for me, I've needed it. Can't just be one. Can't just be two. There's got to be multiple ways to connect with God. And so as a church, we kind of put together for the next 30 days some things that we want you to be a part of it. There's two components to it. There's an individual piece, and then there's a community piece. So if you look up here, God's beauty. You can kind of see it. You got nature. You can connect in that way. But we're going to have a worship night in the middle of Love Week where we just get to celebrate who God is and celebrate the beauty that is going on in this world and going on in our lives from God. And then you got the next part, God's voice. And so at the end of the month here, we're going to do a series, two weeks, all about prayer, where our church is just going to focus in on praying and connecting to him in that kind of way. And then you see the last one, God's community. And so we've got Love Week coming up. You may have sat on this on your way in, but this is your way to start serving, to where you can go, all right, I'm gonna connect with him throughout this month in so many different ways, so I can learn to be relentless with my worship and learn to connect with him in so many different avenues. So I thought it would be really good to end it and just like the scripture said, where they sang a hymn and then left. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand as we sing this hymn, and then we'll leave.
Let's sing this together. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You desire as a church that we would seek those ways out to worship him and to allow that to be a part of our lives in every aspect and as we mentioned earlier there is uh, serving is a form of worship and we would love for you to take that card and take it to the love week booth um, or you can drop it off in one of the blue buckets on your way out uh, to sign up for a project because that's coming up next week well hey we love you guys thank you so much for being a part of tonight with us hope you have a great week we'll see you next time